Well, can you believe we've started Advent already, 2021. Christmas is on its way. If you don't know me, you, you're going to learn a little bit about me this morning. I love Christmas. Uh, I love the whole season. I love everything about it. Uh, Thursday, like right after dinner time, it's nothing every year. It's nothing but Frank Sinatra holiday radio station for me. So uh, I love that, and I, I'll be listening to that all the way through the end of the year. And our Christmas tree will stay up probably until about February or so. Uh, and I don't care if that's okay with you. Uh, that's just what we're going to do. Uh, we love it. We love doing that and just celebrating everything about Jesus' birth and the the warmth of the season, the excitement uh, that builds up to celebrating the fact that God came to be with us. And, and it's such an exciting time for me. I love it. And I also love all this snow. So everything just adds together. We were driving down to my brother's house on Thursday evening and it was like wet and gross. And it was just like, we're trying to listen to Frank Sinatra holiday radio station. And it's like, man, it just doesn't feel like Christmas yet. And then all the snow started coming. I was like, yes, this is Christmas. So I'm excited. I'm very, very excited about uh, everything and excited for Advent and what it means for us. And uh, as we get ever closer to celebrating the the birth of Christ, um, I get more and more excited um, for myself, my family, and and for us as believers. What What an awesome hope we have in that. Well, I don't know what your morning routine looks like, but what is the first thing that you do when you wake up each morning? I don't know if you're a creature of habit like me, but most of my mornings are pretty much the same. Uh, Jack and I, um, we used to, um, I don't know if that'll ever happen again, but we used to go on cruise ships. We loved going on cruise ships. And uh, one of the things that we'd always find kind of humorous is they'd always play like this kind of newlywed type game where they'd get like a newlywed couple, they'd get a couple who's been married a really long time, and then a couple who's been married only like eight or ten years or so. Uh, and they'd play this game, and, they, and one of the questions they'd ask them when their spouse was out of the room is, what is the first thing your spouse does in the morning when they wake up? And they actually started to have to change the, the game. They would have to say, you know, other than grabbing their cell phone. What is the first thing they do other than grabbing their cell phone? Because it became the answer every couple would give as well. They pick up their cell phone. They grab their cell phone. That's the first thing they do in the morning. I don't know if that's true for you. Uh, Many people pick up their cell phones. That's the first thing they do. They pick up their cell phone and they start kind of scrolling through it, checking what they missed, you know, missed texts, missed calls, social media, things like that. But what do you do when you first wake up? What does that look like for you? Um, Probably, if we're going by statistics, uh, those of you that have smartphones, a lot of you, that's the first thing you do. You grab your smartphone and you start going through it. But before you get out of bed, before you start your morning, before you get to your day, do you spend some time maybe thinking through your day first? You know, okay, what do I have going on today? What, uh, what's going to happen throughout my day? Maybe do you spend a few minutes praying? Uh, is that part of your morning routine before your, uh, you get into your day? Maybe do you pick up God's Word? Do you get into God's Word in the morning and you spend some time reading God's Word and, and spending some time with Him? If you pray, I hope you do. If you don't, I strongly encourage you, begin a morning routine of prayer. But as you pray, do you ever pray expectantly for your day? 
Or do you, like many people, just say, okay, God, I have this coming up today. Can you help me out with that? Can you be present in that? Lord, uh, I've got this problem going on. Can you be present in that problem? Lord, I have this thing going on. Could you show up here in this thing? And we just kind of go through our day and we pray that God would bless whatever we have going on throughout our day. Most of us, uh, most people I know, uh, haven't got into a, a regular habit of praying expectantly. Like not just taking the things of the day and praying for those, but to say, Lord, for the stuff that I don't have planned, for the things that you want to do, for the interactions, the engagements that might happen throughout my day, would you be present in that? Do you ever ask God to show up in your day? Do you ever give Him the freedom to mess your day up? That's probably not one we want. (laughs) All right, Lord, you can mess my day up if you want. And then He does. And it's like, oh, you took that one seriously, huh? But do we ask God to show up? You know, one of my prayers, I I pray often, just language I've learned through my life is, Lord, would you show up and show off? Show up in my life and show off. Show your power off. Show how good you are. Show your love for people through my life. How about when you come to church? Do you come to church expectantly? When you show up to a service, whether it's a Sunday morning service or Wednesday night Bible study or uh, any other reason you show up to church, worship team practice, whatever it is, do you show up expectantly? Do you come in saying, Lord, man, I'm excited for what you're going to do today. The possibilities are endless. You're going to be here. Your people are going to gather. It's going to be a good time. What do you want to do, Lord? Do you ever come to church expectantly? Today is the first day of Advent. It's the first Sunday of Advent. We're going to talk about hope. If you don't know, the first uh, Sunday of Advent is the, the, they call the Sunday of Hope. Um, they each have a theme. I didn't know this until a couple years ago. I started studying Advent. But hope is defined as a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. That's what hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. So what certain thing do you want to happen today? And I'm not just like asking that offhandedly. Ask yourself, what do I want to see happen today? What certain thing do I want to see happen today? And what if you started in the mornings waking up And just praying that, Lord, what certain thing do you want to happen today? Would you let me know what that is? Or would you bring that about today? Because, man, I've got an agenda, Lord, and my tendency is to give you my agenda and say, okay, bless this. Bless this agenda. Because I'm a busy person, and so you should bless this because I've got a lot going on. And some of it's even for you, so you should bless this. And maybe to just take a few moments in our morning and say, all right, Lord, what do you want? I know you've got a plan. Because God doesn't just sit around and go, oh, well, it's just another day, just another Sunday, just another Monday. Oh, I hate Mondays. God loves Mondays. You might not, but he does. And he's always got a plan. Do you daily live with the good news of hope? 
Do you wake up each morning excited for what God is going to do? Uh, do the people around you pick up on the excitement, the hope you have in the gospel? I'm reading a, a book right now called Gospel Fluency. Uh, it's a pretty cool book. I'm, I'm really uh, liking what's in it. But in it, the author makes the argument that while a lot of Christians can explain the gospel, they can explain the logistics, and if I were to ask you, what is the gospel? You could probably give me a pretty good explanation. Most of you, I trust that that's, that's true of you. But what he argues is that not many would be able to say how it has affected their life today or how it's affected their life this week, this month, this year. We can explain the gospel, but we don't know how it translates into daily life. How, how does that affect what you're doing today? How did that affect your morning this morning, the gospel? What did that have, to, how did that color or change your life this morning? As I read that, I thought, man, that's, that is pretty true. I know a lot of people who can explain the gospel, but not many people, or some of those people, they don't translate it into their daily life, into their actions, into their words, into the way they interact with others, into the way they do everything. The gospel doesn't translate that way for them. Does the good news of hope affect your everyday life? Everywhere you go, your workplace, your, your neighborhood, your grocery store, everywhere you go, your kids practice, does the good news of hope affect that? I've always wondered what the lives looked like of the shepherds that the angels appeared to when Jesus was born. Like, all we get is this tiny little snippet of their life, and we never hear anything else about them. And I, I've wondered every year as I'm preparing uh, messages for Christmas and, and thinking through all the different um, things that God does in this season, it, it, it always kind of hits me like, what did the rest of their life look like? Because, man, they didn't live a glamorous life. You know, theirs was not one of glamour and glitz and, and importance. You know, they weren't important people. That's why they were shepherds. Shepherds, if you don't know, uh, culturally, shepherds were not your cream of the crop. They were not your, uh, you know, Yale-educated people. They were the ones who really couldn't make it anywhere else, so they become shepherds. Or it just was a family thing, and so that's what they did. But generally, you're not looking at the top of the social class. And so, what did the rest of their life look like after that? I imagine that hope was a big part of their life. I don't know how many days went by where they didn't talk about that experience, where they literally saw the heavens open, and they saw a multitude of heavenly beings worshiping. How many of you have gotten to witness a multitude of heavenly beings worshiping? No? pretty awesome. And I would almost guarantee the rest of their life was affected by that. Let's take a look at what happens in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 12. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. The verses will also be up here on the screen. Uh, but let's take a look at what happens with these angels. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. 
and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in, in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. The angel says, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. This is the good news of hope. This is the gospel that God was coming among us and things were about to change for all eternity. But does this good news translate to your everyday? You weren't one of the shepherds. You didn't get to see the heavenly host praising and worshiping God there. But you know the gospel. You know that Jesus Christ came, died, rose again, that your sins can be forgiven. You, you know the particulars of the gospel. So it should translate to your everyday life. See, the Word of God says in, in 1 Peter 1.3, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, now we live with great expectation. Do we live with great expectation? Are your days filled with great expectation? As I was processing this this week and, and praying through this, I was like, man, I don't know that I meet a lot of believers who live with great expectation. Their, their life isn't, you know, if I ask them, sure, yeah, oh yeah, I've got great expectation, Pastor. I just tend to be a pretty miserable person, but, oh man, I can't wait. Like, it doesn't translate to their life, but they have an understanding up here, but it just doesn't work its way down to their everyday life, to their attitude, to their personality, to the way they interact with their, their, the people around them. We should live with great expectation. Do we even know what it looks like to live with great expectation? Do we understand what that logistically would even look like for our life to live with great expectation? I think Paul covers a little bit of what it looks like in Romans. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. It says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a joy and a peace associated with the good news of hope. When we truly understand the good news of hope, there is a joy and a peace that just becomes part of who we are. If you know people who have really translated this gospel into their life, there's just something about their presence. You just want to be in their presence because there's a, there's a peace about them. There's a joy that's not just a momentary, like I'm having a really good day kind of joy, but a longer lasting kind of joy. Translating this gospel into our daily life means we will be people of peace and of joy. Not that we can be, not that there will be moments of this, but we will be people of peace and joy. That's not an option. It's not like, well, if you want, it's available to you. If you want to be peaceful, if you want to have joy, it's there. It's, no, no, this is how it is. If you understand the gospel, it will bring this about in your life. It means that Christian who is always grumpy or complaining about how bad things are, they, there's a disconnect between knowing the gospel 
and living the gospel. That shouldn't be who we are. I've known those people, you probably know some of those people, who it just doesn't seem to translate. There's a disconnect somewhere between their understanding of their gospel and the fact that it should naturally flow from us. There shouldn't be a whole lot of effort necessary in order for the gospel to just become who we are. The Bible talks about our minds being transformed by the renewing of our minds. This is what's happening. The gospel transforms us If you've ever known somebody who's been a Christian for a long period of time, like maybe they got saved at one point and you've known kind of their whole journey, they shouldn't be the same kind of person they were when they came to know Christ. There's a transformation that happens because the gospel continues to transform us. The hope that the good news brings, it's not just for some future day either. There's a lot of people who kind of live in like a doomsday mentality of like, oh, this world, it's so bad. Oh, things are so horrible. But one day, one day I'll be able to be happy. One day I'll have joy again. And it's like as if this hope is only for a future thing. It's not like we have to suffer through this broken world and just accept that our hope is wrapped up in some future day. That's not what God's called us to. He didn't say, well, you know, you're going to live in a broken world, so it's okay to just kind of grin and bear it, be depressed your whole life, and then one day you'll die and you'll be in heaven and then everything will be better. That's not what the gospel tells us to do. We are to be a light here, not to hide our light and complain that it's dark everywhere else and then one day we step into heaven. That's not God's design The hope that the good news brings is for today. Hope has to happen beforehand. If you already have it, it's not hope anymore. We have hope because it does something to us today. It affects us today. We live out this hope every day with everyone we interact with. They should, whether they know it or not, they should be affected by the hope we have in the gospel. If I've planned a, a really fun vacation, so anytime I've ever like gone on a cruise or like Jack and I went to Italy, things like that, I guarantee it, you heard about it. If you were talking to me, you heard all about it. People that know me know that's very true. I talk about things you know, that I'm excited about. That's just going to happen. If I plan something that I'm excited to do, people are going to hear about that. Why? Because the hope of that vacation or that activity, it brings me joy and it brings me peace every time I think about it because I'm excited to do this thing. I'm excited to go on this event. If you've got a vacation planned and if I ask you about it, I'll probably see your face light up. Like, hey, I heard you're going to Florida. I heard you're going on a cruise. Oh, yeah, and you start to talk about it and you can see like, man, there's some hope here. There's some expectation. There's an expectation of of the beach or there's an expectation of relaxing or of joy and all these things and it affects you even in that moment even though it might not be for another year or another six months it brings hope to you last year right around the mid-january time frame i really started this struggle like emotionally i was struggling because and i didn't know why i didn't really wasn't able to grasp what was going on for me and i know that i have like the seasonal depression you know like uh even though i love winter i also need like green i need to be outside i need that light and so i I tend my mood tends to be affected by winter and this past year 
I realized, was the first year that we didn't have a vacation planned. We didn't have anything planned for like the February, March time frame. Since we've been married, we've always had something planned. And I was able to realize, because I didn't have that thing to look forward to, winter affected me a lot more. Because there wasn't like this future hope that, okay, right in like the worst part of winter, like at February, late February, early March, when like even I'm like sick of it and I'm done with winter, we'd always do something fun. We'd, you know, we'd go somewhere, we'd have like this vacation, we'd get a break from it. And I realized that not having something to look forward to affected my every day. If you don't fully understand just how awesome the hope that we have in Christ is, then I, I pray over you what Paul prays over the Ephesian church. Ephesians chapter 118 He says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. See, something as as simple as a vacation can bring me great joy and it can change my whole winter. And the hope of the gospel, the hope of eternity with our Creator, man, that should affect every moment of every day. And if it doesn't, there's something wrong. I hope you can understand that. Now, there's not like a, oh, there's something wrong with you, like shame on you kind of thing. But this is like a diagnostic for you. If, 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 if this doesn't naturally flow out, it should diagnose for you there's something, there's, there has to be a disconnect somewhere for me. The gospel is not naturally flowing out from my being. And so pray this prayer over yourself. Pray that your heart would be flooded with light so that you can understand the, the confident hope that he has given. Because when you truly understand it, man, it, it does something to you. Church stops becoming something you do. Our, your Christian life stops becoming an activity or a, an additional part or aspect of who you are. And it just becomes who you are. Everything flows out of that identity in Christ. It's not just something separate or aside from everything else that you do. Christ becomes the center of your life and everything flows through this this gospel understanding, this gospel lifestyle. Yes, it still is hard and it's still difficult, but we don't have to try to act like we understand the gospel. It just flows from us. My prayer is that you would be blessed with a life marked by hope. Jeremiah 17, 7 says, but blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. Part of the problem for some of us is our hope and our confidence is not in the Lord, but in ourselves, in our job, in our 401k, in our, even our church community. That's where our hope becomes. And our hope should be in the Lord because He never changes He didn't change through 2020 or 2021 or any of the circumstances in both of those years. Everything about the Lord was the same. He is constant. 
And so when our hope is in him, we have a much more constant hope. The good news of hope is also not just about avoiding hell. Many times we can get this kind of confused that, well, I'm saved, so basically what that means is I don't have to go to hell. And it's this almost avoiding type understanding of the gospel. There's so much more to it than just avoiding a bad consequence. Romans chapter 8, verses 23 to 25 says, And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. Anyone else's body reminded them lately that they're looking forward to a new one someday in heaven? No, just me and Richard. Okay. (laughs) Everybody else, you guys are in great shape because I'm only like 30, I don't even know how old I am, 37, and my body's falling apart. So I've messed my knuckle up and it's not fun. But man, our, our, our physical well-being is one of those things that can give us a great reminder. Hey, there's, there's something greater. One day, you'll enter this different place. And so there's this present right now hope, but there's also a future hope. There's, there's something that comes forward to it. But again, that future hope should affect us today. If you knew that something amazing was going to happen then you shouldn't just wait till that amazing thing happens to be joyful about it. It should, it should bring a smile to your face. It should change your countenance. The future hope that we have in Christ isn't just about avoiding something. It's not just avoiding a bad consequence. It's about looking forward to the day when we'll enter God's unblemished kingdom. It's this awesome idea of of one day we will step into eternity, into a kingdom where all of the things that bother us now are gone. Uh, The day when pain and suffering and loss and physical pain are no more. Have you ever wondered what it will be like that moment you enter eternity? Literally nothing hurts anymore. Everything has changed. All the things that you might be worried about right now, gone. All the things that concern you, all the stressors that you have right now, gone. Because you've now entered eternity. All the troubles of this life, the bills, the the snow, the pain, the people in your family that maybe are struggling, all of that stuff. It all changes when you enter eternity. I don't know if you've thought about this. We've mentioned this a couple times. But that moment you enter eternity, how much of what you will do this week will matter? Will it matter what you did this week, the conversations that you had? My, my biggest concern for myself at times when, I, when I'm praying is, Lord, I, I, ne- I don't want to step into heaven and go, oh, man, I have so many IOUs to God, so many things I said I was going to do. 
that conversation I was going to have with that person, that I, 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 was, I was working up the courage to talk to that person at work. I was working up the courage to pray for my neighbor, to ask him if there's something I could pray for. I never did it. And I don't want to step into heaven and have that. But I want you to focus on, on the hope side of it, that you'll step into eternity and, and it'll, everything will change. It won't be about your job. It won't be about the daily struggles that you have. It won't be about all the things that might uh, be, be pressing in on you right now and creating anxiety or stress or all of that. It'll just, eternity has begun. This is part of the reason we live every day with hope because of that thought, that idea that, man, yeah, I, I'm going to work hard for the Lord, and sometimes it's going to require sacrifice, and sometimes it's, you know, I'm going to have to put up with some people I don't really want to put up with, and I'm going to have to do some things that are outside of my comfort zone, but one day I'll step into eternity. And there are crowns that we will receive for the things we did for the Lord. My brother was just telling me actually about a, a podcast he was listening to, and uh, the guy was talking about his, his experience with heaven. And he said as he stood before uh, an angel, the angel like pulled out his list of good deeds. And he said it was kind of like a, like a menu to a diner. And he was kind of appalled at that. He wasn't a young person, I guess, when this happened. And he said, man, I, I want him to have to bring a, a forklift out. To, to carry the papers with my good deeds for the things I did for the Lord on, not, not fit on an 8 by 11 sheet of paper. I don't know about you, but when I step into heaven, I, I want to be able to offer crowns at the feet of Jesus and say, these are the things I did for you. I didn't focus everything on my kingdom. It wasn't just all about what I want or what I can do or what I can get out of this. But we spend our time serving the Lord so that when we step into eternity, we can know I've affected eternity. The deeds I've done will echo in eternity far longer than just getting a little bit of extra overtime or, or doing the things that we want to do or focusing on our kingdom and, and keeping our, our minds so focused on what we're doing and we don't put the kingdom of God first. The knowledge of how incredible eternity will be should color everything we do with its glorious light. Everything you do this week should be different as you focus on, man, eternity's coming. And I know it can almost seem like we, the church says it too often, but Jesus could come back this week. He really could. And what will matter on that day when Jesus returns, when we step into eternity to be with him? What, what this week will matter? Now, just part of living in this world means we got to do some things that don't really matter, like I'm going to take the garbage out and put it in a garbage can. That really doesn't affect eternity, but needs done. But when I interact with my neighbor and thinking like, okay, Lord, what can I do here? What kind of conversation can I have? How can I invite people and in? How can I enter their spaces and be a gospel presence there? It's uncomfortable for me in some places, and I don't know how to do certain things, but man, I'm going I'm to interject myself into these spaces to be a gospel light, to be a presence. Uh, man, I, I might get made fun of in the circles that I'm in, but man, it's so worth it. 
When I step into eternity, it won't matter when people made fun of me, when people looked at me weird or called me a nut. None of that will matter. All that will matter is I did what I could to be a minister of the gospel. So do we really live like people who have incredible hope? Just as you look at your last week, would somebody who perused your last week say, oh yeah, this person understands the gospel. The conversations they had at work, the people they talked to, the conversations in their home. Yeah, man, this person, they get the gospel. Look at how it's just every part of their life shows the gospel. Do we feel compelled to take this good news of hope to those without hope? Because that's a part of the gospel as well. When we truly understand the gospel of hope, as we look around and we see people who have no hope, who don't wake up with the hope of, of eternity in their hearts, when, when they go through a crisis, there's no silver lining at the end of it. When they have a health scare, for them, that's it. They're, they're facing oblivion. They have no hope. Do we see that and, and, and wonder, how can I do something about this? Lord, give me the ability to do something about this. I see people with no hope and I want to be a part of it. Help me help them to understand the gospel of hope. That should compel us. As, you know, you, hopefully, unless I mis- mistakenly say it, you'll never hear me say, well, you should do this. You should go out. That, that's unnecessary. When we understand the gospel, there's no should. It's just, how can I? Give me opportunities, Lord, to be the gospel of hope to people who have no hope. How could we possibly understand this glorious hope and not want to share it with everyone that we can? So when you truly understand that, uh, the gospel and what it means and, and what, it, what it means for people, when you truly understand the difference between heaven and hell, between eternal uh, communion with God and the eternal separation from Him, it doesn't require a whole lot of effort to want to do it. There becomes a great desire, a, a compelling of, I see people who don't have what I have, who don't know this good news, who aren't free, they're still in bondage to their sin and to all the things of this world. And Lord, you begin to ask God, how can I be a part of this? How can I best minister in this place? We're going to talk about this in the coming weeks a, a, a bit more, but uh, I mentioned it last week. This, and I, I'm going to find out who, who said the quote. I really am. I looked for it this week and I couldn't find it, but I'm going to find out. The person said, it's, it's the great lie of the enemy that ministry can only be done by professionals. And the enemy has created this lie that you have to bring people here for them to hear the gospel. You have to get them to church, and the pastor will tell them about the gospel. Each and every one of you, the Bible says, are the godly priesthood. You are each ministers of the gospel. Spurgeon said, anybody who claims to be a Christian and not a missionary is a fraud. And it's so true. Each and every one of us has been imbued with the light. It says, out of you rivers of living water flow. So you just need to take yourself, place yourself into, in somewhere where there is darkness And just say, Holy Spirit, I'm yours. Whatever you want this to look like, 
do something. I just need to go. Your, your command to me was go, and I'm going, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna find places where there are people who have no hope. I'm gonna become a part of what they're doing. I, I like to, I don't know, first thing that came to my mind is, I like to crochet. I don't like to crochet. Uh, so I'm gonna find a group of people who like to crochet who don't have hope, and I'm gonna crochet with them, and I'm gonna talk to them, and I'm gonna minister to them. I like to grill meat, so maybe I'm going to find a group of people who like to smoke meat, and I'm going to be a part of that community. I like coffee, whatever it is. I like games. I like playing video games. Go find a group of people who like to play video games who don't have any hope. Whatever that is, whatever activity you can be a part of, this is what happens when people truly understand the gospel of hope as they start to look for ways to be a part of places that have no hope. Because they recognize, man, on this side of eternity, I have an opportunity to be a part of this. I have an opportunity to minister in these places, in these contexts, in these, in these environments. Once I step into eternity, it's gone. I have no more opportunity. All I'll think of is I wish I had. And I promise you, no one has ever stepped into eternity and thought, man, I wish I would have spent more time at work instead of trying to be a minister of the gospel. That's never happened. But I would bet there are people who have gotten to the end of their life and thought, and I, I wish I would have done more for Christ. I wish I would have put a little bit more effort into ministering in the places I was. I was so concerned with how people would look at me. I was so concerned with the way people would look at me. And I let that affect me bringing hope to people who have no hope. I recognize that we live in difficult times. It's been tough for some of us over the last year, two years, 10 years, 20 years. It can be difficult sometimes, a struggle to remember the good news of hope, to not allow the darkness of this world to overshadow the hope. At the same time I talk about the, the whole vacation thing, it's like, yeah, I can be so excited to go on vacation, but I can also let the fact that there's six months of work before I get there to kind of cloud that and overshadow it and I have a moment of hope and then a moment of sadness. But, so I, I recognize it can be difficult. But it's an even better reason to cling to the hope we have in Christ, to focus on it, to pray about it, to think upon it, to dwell on the hope on a regular basis. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. We don't have to worry about this hope never becoming a thing. We don't have to worry about this failing for us. God will keep his promise. Now, you might not feel qualified or equipped to take this good news to those without hope. You might hear me saying, well, you're a minister of the gospel and, and you're, you're a priestly saint. And you think, well, maybe somebody else, but not me. I mean, I'm me. Who am I? I don't have any training. I don't have a Bible degree, I don't have any of these qualifications that would make me adequate to take this hope to somebody else. Remember, the angel shows up to the shepherds first. He doesn't show up to the Pharisees. He doesn't show up to the Sadducees. He doesn't show up to the priests. He doesn't show up in the temple where there are going to be people who you know, are pretty familiar with the Bible and the law and all of that stuff. He shows up to some shepherds in a field. Some of the least likely candidates you could possibly find. What did the shepherds do after the angel told them about Jesus? Luke chapter 12, 
verse 16 to 18. It says, They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds went to seminary so that they could figure out how to tell people about the gospel. No, no. Oh, they went to the evangelism training at the church. Then they went and told, no. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. All who heard it. The educated, the higher-ups in the social class, the people who never wanted anything to do with shepherds. They heard this story and they were astonished. It's almost as if because of their station, because of their unqualifications, the story had that much more impact. And so you might feel unqualified. You might feel, well, I don't know if I can do this. Perfect. Because the shepherds couldn't do it. They weren't qualified. No one would have believed them except that the hope they had was so amazing, the story they had was so far beyond belief that people were astonished. It made them stop and listen and wonder because of this awesome hope. When was the last time somebody was astonished by your story? Have you ever taken the time to tell someone about your story? and allowed what God has done in your life to astonish them. The story of good news, of hope in your life, has so much power. One of my favorite verses is in Romans 12, 11. And it says, And they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die saying here, the word of their testimony had so much power. We talk about, we do communion every month, the first Sunday of every month, and we celebrate the blood of the Lamb and, and, and the, the fact that the blood has, has washed away our sins and the power of the blood and, and what it has done to redeem us. And it likens that power to the power of your testimony. Do you know the power your testimony has? The story of what God has done in your life. Man, it has amazing power. It's what brought me into the kingdom. It's somebody else's story. It so amazed me that I had to know more. It's that simple. How many of you can talk about yourself? You all can. I know it. I've heard you do it. All we got to do is talk about what God has done in our life. We just need to mention, hey, this is what the Lord has done for me. This is, uh, I was this and then I was this. I was here, and then God brought me here. I, I, I struggled with this, and then God did this. It's a simple telling of what God has done for us. I, there's, there, there's Obviously, there's some particulars, and there's trainings, and there's all these things that people do, but it really becomes as simple. Some of the best trainings I've ever heard is learn how to tell your story. Learn how to tell other people your story. Learn how to tell it in one minute. Learn how to tell it in three minutes, and learn how to tell it in 10 minutes. That's a great way to practice or prepare yourself for evangelism. As you go out and you ask people, hey, can I pray for you? Or whatever that looks like for you. As you engage them in their places and and their spaces in the dark places. And they say, what about you? Thanks for asking. Let me tell you about what God has done for me. 
and we begin to tell them of how awesome God is. Share your story of the good news of hope with someone this week. Maybe ask that prayer this week as you wake up. First thing you do in your morning is say, God, would you give me an opportunity today? I don't know what it'll look like. It'll probably mess my schedule up. But would you give me an opportunity to tell someone a little bit of my story? And practice this. Practice this with your spouse or with your friends. Practice telling your story in one minute, in three minutes, and in 10 minutes. And you will prepare yourself for ministry. Sometimes, you know, you're at a gas pump You don't have 10 minutes probably, unless you have a big truck. You maybe have a minute to quick share a story of what God has done and just make them wonder, man, there's something about that person. They just talked with so much hope, so much joy, so much peace, so much confidence. What is that? The average, I think, interactions is someone needs like 12 to 15 interactions with a Christian before they're willing to, to accept Christ before they're willing to actually like engage that and just celebrate man you know what nothing came of it I talked to someone at the pump for like a minute two minutes and we went on our way but you might be a part of someone's journey of coming to Christ he might use you just sharing your testimony and that is going to shatter some walls in their life there is no telling what God can do with your story so this week share your story share the hope be a person of joy and of peace let's pray Lord, we thank you for the opportunities you give us each and every day to be ministers of your gospel. Lord, I thank you that it doesn't matter what degree we have. It doesn't matter what training we have. It doesn't matter uh, all of the qualifications we want to set up as important. What matters is your spirit inside of us and our willingness to follow. Lord, I pray this week for each and every one of us that you would give us opportunities, you would give us uh, open doors into conversations, into places, Lord, that we would get invitations to enter dark places and we would accept those invitations because we want to go to be in the world but not of the world, that we would go to be a light in dark places and, and we would trust that, man, we have no idea what to do, but you're gonna show up. And your presence inside of us, your power inside of us is enough. We don't have to have the right words. We don't have to have the right understandings and the, and the, and the right theology. We simply have to be present and allow your Holy Spirit to move. Lord, I pray that your good news of hope would overwhelm us this week. And it would go from just being a, a head understanding and it would become part of who we are. It would begin to translate into daily life. Lord, I pray your gospel would come alive inside of us this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Be a gospel presence everywhere you go this week. Have a good week.